crew members and either welcome or welcome back to At Least There's a Dog, a Star Trek Enterprise review podcast in which we will boldly go episode by episode through the Star Trek series that, whatever its flaws, undeniably has the most dog. We are your hosts, Mandy and Josh, and on tonight's show, we will be discussing season three, episode 15, Harbinger. This would be a fun one to discuss. So have you noticed her bum? Oh. And how her bum keeps coming back? That was... uh, No, this is a different bum. The same bum was here. Well, okay. Oh, yes, yes. Her bum was there. There were multiple bums. Her bum was there. So many bums. Mostly two. Trip and Paul's. Yes. This episode was stupid. (laughs) So way back. There were were parts of this episode that weren't so bad. There are things that are perhaps intriguing, but wow, they, uh, they did some things pretty badly. So way back in 1926, the last time we recorded an episode of this podcast, we were on a kick of like, you know, not amazing, but pretty good episodes. And as is usually the case with Enterprise, it was nice while it lasted. For those of you who are just listening to all of these some point in the distant future when we're all done recording, um, th- that was a joke. We didn't re- record podcasts in 1926. No, it just kind of feels like about No, back, years back in ago. 1926, it was all about the blogs, not podcasts. Yes, dear. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> just for those of you who are not listening in the future, but are listening in the present and have been eagerly awaiting our next episode, we know it's been a while. We're, we're parents of a seven-month-old. We're you're trying. Just, you're just going to have to bear with us sometimes. We'll, we'll do them when we can. We really will. We do them when we can. And we can right now. And I, we're... This, yeah, let's talk yeah, about the episode. This episode. Um, there was stuff here that had potential. Yeah. And, and then A it, lot of that potential remained potential. Yeah. And, uh, oh, there's going to be a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Fun, yes. Some I, of it, some of it is fun. I think it'll be fun. Okay. Do you just want to give the recap? Sure. I don't know how much of a recap it is, as much as it's kind of a rant. But uh, it, I mean, it says some things that happen in the episode. <laughs> I think that's been happening to my recaps is that they become less and less recaps and more and more just editorials on the episodes. But whatever, it's our podcast. I do what I want. Yep. Anyway, this was Harbinger. An interminable previously on segment opens the episode and betrays early on that they don't have enough material to fill their entire 45 minute slot, but that's not important. And as it turns out, neither is the A plot. Sure, it could (laughs) be important. A mysterious dying alien in a mysterious pod who can mysteriously walk through walls and engines and bullets except when he can't sure seems like it ought to be important. But we have limited time to spend with him because we need those remaining minutes for pissing contests. Yay! The growing tension between Reed and Major Hayes, in which we were all extremely invested, uh. boils over when Hayes gets permission to instruct the bridge crew in WWE moves. The growing <laughs> sexual tension between Trip and DePaul also comes to a head, or should I say, to a bum. Given all the talk of jealousy and all the close-ups on body parts, I wish we spent a little more time with Mayweather's biceps. Also, Arch- also Archer is in the background doing torture again. 
Yeah. Will everyone's tension dissipate? Will this mysterious alien matter at all? Why does Hoshi need to learn WWE moves and not like the other security officers? The star of the the show, Porthos, wisely sleeps through all this stupid drama. Yes. I assume that's what he's doing. Probably. He's a beagle. Beagles sleep. Yep. Our dog sleeps. That's Mm -hmm. what she's doing right now. Excellent. So yeah, um, there was, yeah, this was an episode where it's, for me, and think more than you, I started off really excited about it. I was, especially with the uh, previously on segment, I thought, oh wow, they're bringing in all these pieces together. I was expecting this to be a really arc heavy episode because of how much stuff they covered in the previously on segment. Yeah, and then it... Then like we they got to the touched action. on things, but they didn't really do much. Then we got to the actual episode, and well, it was like, oh. okay, okay. Um, there was some doing that was going on, um, mostly between Trip and Paul. But uh, yep. But as far as the you know the Zindi thing, oh, not. I don't know. It might be important. I don't consider Trip and Paul to really be part of the arc. They're kind of their own little thing. How do you know? Maybe they are the key to the Zindi War. I know Star Trek better than that. Okay, fine. (laughs) (sighs) Um, So before we get into anything too, too exciting, it is time for Faith of the Start. Oh, right. Yes. You remembered to record a rating, right? I did. Okay, very good. So Faith of the Start is where we answer one simple question, which is how much did the theme song ruin the cold open? And this time I gave it a one. I gave it a one as well. Didn't ruin it at all. Yeah. No, that didn't was... make it better, but didn't ruin it. Yeah. It actually transitioned very nicely from Tucker making out with his new girlfriend into corny country western music. And that kind of fits. It does. I I think that since we started doing this the, the transitions haven't been so bad. There's only been one that I thought was really bad, and you didn't think it was bad. Yeah. Um, whereas before we started recording these things, uh, gosh, they were well, awful. There are going to be some. There are going to be some more horrible ones. I have faith. Faith of, of the, the start. start. Indeed. All right. I'll stop now. I won't. Okay. <laughs> would you like some trivia? Yes, I would. All right. So when I saw that the title of this episode was Harbinger, I thought, this can't be the first time a Star Trek episode has been named Harbinger. Yeah, it's... It's it's a very generic name. It's very generic and yet, like, ominous enough that it sounds like a... So this was not the uh, first... Uh, so there, there were no Star Trek episodes before this one that were named Harbinger. Okay. But there was a computer game. Star Trek Deep Space Nine Harbinger came out in 1996. (laughs) It was kind of like a a mist sort of game. You go around the station and see things. Was it a point and click? Yeah. Oh. Point and click. It's got uh, the voice talents of several DS9 cast members. Maybe we should play it at some point. We like point and clicks. I looked. uh, You know what? We should do that. Um, It looked terrible. From. Oh, that sounds like fun though. All right. We could like expand our uh, expand our media and like stream it our, through our, your Twitch or something. Yeah, expand our, our media empire from podcasts into uh, video game streaming. Yeah, that'll be fun. All right. We um, should probably finish some of the good games we've been trying to play first. And but... we should like find time to do a podcast more than once a month. 
Yeah, it'll be a little while before we get to Deep Space, to Deep Space Nine Harbinger. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so that was that. Um, there was also a novel called Harbinger um, for the original series, but that one came out after this episode. Oh, okay. And um, also things that came out after this episode, Harbinger was a big part of Mass Effect. Um, I mean, Harbinger is a commonly it's used... It's a really useful sci-fi term. It, it is. Sci-fi and fantasy and anything where, like, there's big stuff looming on the horizon. Yep. Anyway, um, as I alluded to last episode, there are only a few actors who have played at least seven different characters on Star Trek. And uh, we know they are uh, Randy Oglesby, mm-hmm. who's best known as Degra. Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey Combs, who has Shran, Weyoun, Brunt, take your pick. Mm-hmm. Um, J.G. Hertzler. Yep. Who is the man behind Martok. Yep. And uh, Vaughn Armstrong, who's probably best known as uh, Admiral Forrest. Yeah. But who has played a ridiculous number of different roles. Okay. Then there's one more. There's one more among this bunch, and that is Thomas Kopachi. Okay. Was he the alien in this? He was the alien in this one. okay. Now, I don't know if it's unfair to him or, or... overly generous to him. I don't know how, how to go about it. He doesn't really have a standout role um, that, you know, where he kept coming back over and over and was stealing the show. Like, so he's not Jeffrey Combs? No one is Jeffrey Combs. We can't all be Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. Um, actually, of all of his roles, the one that stands out the most to me is he, not from Star Trek. He played the character of Tupari. Now... Do you remember this character? No. He was a Narn assassin who tried... Oh! Yeah. You will know know pain, and then you will know fear, and then you will die, have a pleasant flight? Was that... I I don't remember the details, but... uh, It's the episode where Natoth shows up the first time, right? Yeah. Yeah, And he leaves the the little uh, flower. He leaves the little flower in Jakar's quarters. That was him. and then at the end, after Jakar and the Toth have captured him, there's a great scene where they're like putting him on a transport after having drugged him. Right. And they explain that they snitched on him to his like assassin's, assassin's guild. guild. Yeah. And they told him that if they ever caught up with him, you will know pain and you will know fear, and then you will die. Have a pleasant flight. Mm-hmm. Nice. I like it. Yeah. That's a I memorable knew role. Tupari sounded familiar. I just didn't know why. Yep. And yeah, he's good at acting through prosthetics, it turns out, because he was doing that in this episode, too. Oh, yeah. So, um, what is... He, so, what has he played on Star Trek? Uh, in the TNG episode, The Next Phase, he played Mirok, who was a Romulan scientist. I don't remember that episode, a, but okay. Not a memorable character. I remember the episode. That was where um, Jordy and Ensign Rowe are, like, going through everything, kind of like uh, his character did in this episode. <laughs> yeah, okay. And no one, but no one gotcha, can see gotcha. them. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, was that the episode where they died? Or everybody they had their they funeral. Had right, they had their yeah. funeral, yeah. And Ro was like, please don't let them do the entire, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, I yeah. remember that. Um, another TNG episode, Emergence. I don't know if we've watched that one together. Um, he plays a holographic train conductor. Oh, fun. In Star Trek Generations, that's not an episode, that's a movie. Um, he was a unnamed communications officer on the <laughs> Enterprise B. Well, that entire movie was unmemorable. Not as unmemorable as Insurrection. So on Voyager, 
Low bars to trip over. A very, very memorable episode, The Thaw. Um, yeah. He played a character that I don't remember. He was one of the uh, people that the clown killed. The only thing I remember from that episode is Michael McKean torturing Tom and Harry. So. Yeah, well, he was he was one of the aliens that... The, gotcha, okay. Yeah. I think he was the one who sent the distress to Hall or something. Oh, okay. Then um, he played one... He has only one role that he's played in more than one episode. Okay. Um, and that was in Deep Space Nine. He plays Kira Taban. That is Kira Narice's dad. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. Um, not terribly memorable. Though. No, not really. Um, that's okay. It, it sounds like he's one of those reliable background guys who yep, he, shows up and does the work well. He played a Vulcan in the pilot for Enterprise, Broken Bow. Uh, okay. Named Toss, one of Ambassador Saval's buddies. Okay. And then he shows up here as an unnamed alien. I mean, they keep bringing him back, so clearly they like his work. Yeah. But yeah, that's Seven. So he has, uh, he has joined the, uh, the elite few who have played seven different roles. Good for him. And, uh... Well, he was one of the things I liked about the episode. Yeah, no, he seems to be quite good at this. He just, uh, I guess he never was lucky enough to get a role where, uh... It just worked and he kept coming back for it. I mean, some of these guys just make a career out of playing aliens for all seasons. So, I mean, there's... Vaughn Armstrong was doing that for, for years and years, just playing all sorts of random Klingons and stuff. And then now he gets to be a human gets... out of makeup. Yeah, now he gets to he be gets to come in Forest. He gets to come in for the late makeup call now. <laughs> oh, getting to sleep in. Yep. The dream. Yep. <laughs> Oh, I miss sleeping in. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's not for a makeup call. Anyway, that was a decent transition into pluses and minuses. Should we head there? Yeah. Oh, lordy. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna find nice things to say first. I'll say a bunch of nice things. Um, hey, Major Hayes, who's been like specially called out in the uh, in the opening credits every episode that he's in, despite never having anything to do. Finally did something. Yeah. And uh, he had, I hesitate to call it a good dynamic with Reed because I rolled my eyes a lot every time the two of them were on screen. But he, let's put it this way. Of the two of them, he was the better thing in those scenes. (laughs) That is, I guess, a plus. We'll get to you, Dominic. (laughs) I guess. Um, He did something. Yay. I appreciated the previously on segment because it's been a little while. Because you'd forgotten what happened on the show. It's been a long road. (laughs) Getting from there to here. Yeah, moving on. Uh, but I'll, I'll throw in something else. Um, I That pod that they found the alien in with all those uh, fiber optic cables in it and stuff. That was a nifty design. That was a cool prop. That was also on my list. That was a cool prop. Yeah. Apparently it sold at auction for a few thousand bucks. Yep. For some reason, that's that's like the thing that's always on, on the wiki stuff. Is how much props sell at auction for? Yeah. Okay. I don't know why. It's not the inter- That's not such an interesting thing to know about, though. Yeah, they could. Yeah. I guess if you want to know what the collectors are going after. Um, so I also liked... I liked the scene between T'Pol and, what was her name? Cole? Yeah, Amanda Cole. Between T'Pol and Amanda Cole, where T'Pol was doing neuropressure on her until T'Pol got all 
pissy and like started squeezing her neck too hard. Um, at which point I was like, they're doing that thing where she's a Vulcan, but not really again. And yes. I feel really bad for Jolene Blaylock right now. Um, but before that, they'd actually been having, you know, kind of a nice conversation that felt like a conversation between two real people trying to get to know each other. And mm-hmm. I miss having little moments on Enterprise like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. all. Okay. Uh, I was just going to say, um, in general, um, Corporal Amanda Cole's performance. Yeah, I, I was very skeptical of that character when she showed up because she was like really done up in her face. And I was like, oh, great. This is Trip's hot new girlfriend. But she wasn't just Trip's hot new girlfriend, even though I'm sure she's a one and done character. Yeah, she she totally... I would have liked to see more of her. Maybe she won't be one and done, and that would be kind of nice. Yeah. Um, but I thought that the acting was good. The She she just seemed like, uh, you know, a human. Yeah. Which not all characters do on this show. Nope. Like Malcolm. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to you, Dominic. We'll get to you. Uh, we're on you. Oh, it's, oh okay. Um... The uh, also uh, related to her, I kind of like that the the opening scene was a bit of a fake out, where you thought it was going to be to Paul and then it wasn't. Yeah, because I can't tell who what Jolene Blaylock's foot like looks like. And also, when they first went, when they first panned over to her, she looks enough like uh, to Paul. Like Trip has a type apparently. That at first I was like, did they have Jolene grow her hair out really fast? <laughs> yeah. So. Uh... That was a neat little fake out there. It was. It was. Um, it was a little bit too cute, but in a good way. Okay, so so moving moving past uh, just uh, that character, um, I will. Where was I? Oh yeah, the the, the grappler. Um, I thought it was neat. Like they've got this uh, this distortion field, and hey, it makes the grappler not shoot straight. And uh, I like that uh, Reed compensated for it just by aiming off to the side and. Getting it to, to match. I'm like, yeah, there is he a, used math. There is a movie that you have not seen that I have seen. Oh, I have seen called Society. And if any of our listeners out there have seen the movie Society, you will unfortunately know what I am talking about when I say that their anomaly looked like the giant flesh blob from Society. Okay. Which is not a good thing to be reminded of. Yeah, no, I was not going to be... Praising the anomaly. The anomaly looked terrible. but It did. Uh, it looked like bulbous, bubbling flesh. I was going to say it looked like... Um, like one of those 1990s Windows, like, Windows Media Player visualizations gone wrong. It kind of looked like that too. But I kept thinking of the bubbling flesh from Society. I'm really sorry if you've seen that movie. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. No, I just thought it was, it was neat, like... I don't know. Yeah. Space, angles, math, um, good. Yeah, speaking of cool designs, um, the alien makeup was good. Mm-hmm. And the evolution in the alien makeup as he deteriorated was also subtle but effective. Hmm. Because you could believe that he was just wasting away in front of their eyes. Mm-hmm. You could see his, like, skin scales flaking off, and it made you feel for him up until the point when he became, you know, a bioweapon. Yeah, I don't know what that was about. Uh, yeah, I don't know either. But he became a bioweapon. Okay. Do you have more? I do. Can we take a moment to appreciate Mayweather's biceps? 
I will not only appreciate Mayweather's, mother, bleh, Mayweather's biceps, not as much as you, I suspect. I will also appreciate that he kicked a lot of butt. He did with his biceps. He kicked with his biceps. He's oh, that talented. dear. That's, uh, that's some, that's some uh, Vulcan jujitsu there. Dang, Anthony <laughs> Montgomery. Dang. <laughs> Look, there was so much male gaze fodder in this episode. I'm going to take what gets thrown to me. Go for it. That's all. Um, I'm going to say probably my favorite thing that happened in this episode. Captain Archer does the sensible thing that we've all been wanting to do this whole episode. He calls Reed and um, his five-year-olds <laughs> accurately Thank and you. tells them to stop acting like five-year-olds. Thank you, Archer. Much appreciated. And then he doesn't, leaves the room without dismissing them. Then he doesn't them dismiss them. <laughs> because, frankly, they should stand there until they've learned their lesson. They don't deserve to be dismissed. Nope. <laughs> I'm glad they recognize that. Yep. Um... I had somewhat neutral feelings towards the last scene, but I put it on my pluses list because it had a good tone. It was nicely anticipatory for what was going to come next. The, uh, oh, yeah. that No, that was interesting. I, I thought it was, so are, are we finally getting to, like, what's caused the whole Zindi War? Because... It seems like we might be. Like, is, is this guy the same species as uh, the... The dude um, in the from the future. When they first pulled him out, I thought he was a Sulaban, but he was not clearly. Mm-hmm. So we're thinking he might be the same species as Future Guy, because that would be uh, the the a the thing. one who's been manipulating the Sulaban and yeah. presumably is manipulating on the memory and... on memory alpha. He's called Future Guy. Ah, oh, okay. Because he has no name, but that's the fan name for him. Fair enough. So he's Future Guy, but yeah, maybe he is the same species as Future Guy. Yeah. Uh, I'm done. Yeah, I think I'm, uh, I think I'm done too. All right, can we tear into some things now? Go ahead. Dominic. Um, so it wasn't entirely his fault because he was stuck in a dumb subplot, but his acting was not good. Not good. Mm-hmm. Not good this time around. <laughs> it was just a lot of, like, snarling and face twitching that kept making me think he was going to cry, which maybe he was because he realized this is what his career had come to. But, ugh. And then that scene um, where he's having lunch with uh, Trip. Like, Trip should have, like, Trip was just like, you know, I think that this is, you know, the, the training's reasonable. Like, you should just chill. And Reed's just like, Nyah. Yeah. No, he's trying to take over my job. Well, that's Arr. that's partly a read criticism, but also the acting made it feel really like I'm an angry cat. I mean, sort like of if, thing. if Trip was being reasonable, he'd be like, "Sick bay, we have a medical emergency here." Um, <laughs> Reed stick up his own butt has has grown too long. It it is threatening to emerge out the top of his head. Yeah, yeah, he's he's gonna. He's going to need some surgery immediately. Yep, he's going to birth a stick-up-his-butt baby. Okay, we're going to stop Athena talking style. about this. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Sorry. Not that sorry. <sighs> but yeah, just read in this episode. That is, that is a metaphor. 
actor and character were done no favors. No. Yeah, he he was acting terrible that whole episode. I just inexcusable. Pretty much. I'm glad he got chewed out in the end. Yeah. Um yeah. I did laugh and I think it was kind of supposed to be funny at the moment where he jumps like 10 feet across the hall and lands on Hayes. Mhm. But it was funny. I don't know if it was meant to be. It was fun. Yeah. So we're going to say it was meant to be because I, I, I don't know. I feel It will nice. be charitable. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I'm going to... That was one of the two big problems of this episode. Um, I'm going to hit the other one. Bum. No. Bum. Nope. Not that one. Then there were three. Okay, fine. <laughs> then there were three. I'll just give you a quote here from Captain Archer. Until I get the answers I need, we're going to have to bend a few ethics. So, yeah, you've got a, a patient here who is dying, who begs for you to just put them back in their vessel. And Archer's and like, and who no, doc- I think we're going to give you more pain instead. Yeah, your doctor keeps telling you is in terrible pain. And you're just like, yeah, I'm going to keep asking questions and you know, withhold painkillers because we all know that torture gets you the information you want. Yeah, it meant that when uh, the the uh, the guy left the hospital bed and started walking through the ship, I was like, heck yeah, you show Archer where it's at. Archer deserved it. Though, he did take out Phlox, and Phlox had been kind of trying to stick up for him the entire time. Mm-hmm. Now, to be fair, so I'll... This is something that I didn't realize until well after watching the episode when I was just thinking about it. So I thought maybe he was just doing that because either he was angry at how much he'd been mistreated or because the writers don't know what they're doing. Then I realized the reason that he was acting at first just like a, you know, a dying alien who just wanted to go back to where he was um, and then goes into murder mode is because he just found out that this ship was from Earth. Yeah. He asked Phlox what planet Phlox and the other one guys were from. And that was when he heard Earth. And then he was like, oh, Earth, those are the guys we have to destroy. Yep, then that was when he went bonkers. And so it makes a little bit more sense. At first, I, I, I thought that his rampage at the end just made no sense. What was the alien's plan? Like, first you're like... Put me back on the ship. And then you're like, ah, I'm going to destroy you. No. You but know, it's, seemed it's fun. Because he, he had a change of information. So that that's something at least. That does um, that does at least make it make sense. But Archer, you are, no. Stop Archer, you torturing this. people for no reason. Also, I'm going to keep harping on this, even though I know I'm the only person in the world who cares. But Denobulan medical ethics are not consistent. Remember several episodes Where it's ago the will of the patient when we that... learned that the will of the patient is paramount? Yeah. And not the will of the captain who keeps telling you to do stuff that isn't ethical anyway? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so about that. Yeah. Again, I realize I'm the only one who cares. No, no, that... you are 100% right. And that also the writers don't care, and the writers also don't know because they don't watch Star Trek. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, bad writers, bad. Bad. Um, everyone was a jerk in this episode. Like, we talked about Reed already. Reed was a jerk. Okay, 
Tucker was not a jerk until the latter half of the episode. In fact, at one point, I have written in all caps in my notes, everyone is a jerk but Tucker. And then he starts being a jerk. <laughs> but, like, Reed was a jerk, Hayes was a jerk, T'Pol was a jerk. Mm-hmm. And T'Pol was a jerk for no good reason. Archer was a jerk. Archer was a jerk. A, a war criminal jerk. And at first, Tucker... Okay, Mayweather was nice. Mayweather did no wrong. Mayweather did no wrong. And Hoshi was, again, like a board in the back, so... I still don't know why Hoshi was at the, the sparring practice. Because she's a senior officer, and Linda Park's contract says that she's in a certain number of episodes per season. No offense to her, I do not think she is going to do well in these fights. I do like, not... We saw her kicking some butt. Yeah, just Which like, didn't make any sense. I, I guess when it's combat training, fine. But when you are having, for example, competitive martial arts... You have something called a weight class. Yes. She was not... She's like in a, a whole different dimension. Indeed, yes. Um, the... Uh, what was I on? Oh, yeah. Um, to Paul in... Yeah, jerks. But to Paul in particular just like didn't do a decent, nice thing this entire episode. And mm-hmm. um, pretty much up to the end when she had that really bizarre conversation with Tucker about how she'd been doing sexual experiments on him. Mm-hmm. And just, I didn't like her or Tucker by the end of this. And I didn't care whether or not they, you know what? You two deserve each other. Mm-hmm. And not in a good way. Yep. So I'm going to, here's a, another, are you, are you done? For now. Another minus, um, you know who, so this is an episode where, yes, you pointed out that the reason that they had that long previously on segment was probably because they didn't have enough to fill the time. Mm-hmm. But despite not having enough to fill the time, they completely forgot about uh, Amanda Cole. Um, what happened to her? Like she and, and Trip were onto something and then Trip goes and sleeps with Paul, I hope that Tri- and like are, are, is he going to go and break up with her? Is he going to like apologize? I are they going that- to try to make it work out? Or is she never going to appear again because the writers don't care? And that's really a shame. I hope that Trip She deserves has- closure. She did. I hope that Trip has an honest conversation with her where he explains that because they're working so closely together... And he's technically in command around here. He doesn't think that it's going to work out, but he'd really love for them to remain friends. And that's what Trip for most of the show probably would have done. But Trip in this episode is probably going to just like continue stringing her on until one day she walks in on him and T'Pol just making out in the mess hall. Oh dear. Also, that would be extremely hypocritical of him. Yes. I'm sorry. We're in the same chain of command. I can't date you. But I will date someone else who's even closer to me in the chain of command. Yeah, but doesn't she outrank him technically, so it's less weird? I don't know. Is that less weird? No. As long as one outranks the other, it's weird. Yeah, fair. Like, teachers don't sleep with students. And also, believe it or not, students don't sleep with teachers. Yeah, but sometimes teachers do sleep with administrators. I don't want to hear about this. (laughs) Fair enough. Usually when they're married. Oh, it's in the context of a marriage. I... I know, I know. Leave this okay. topic. Uh, but, but yeah, no. If, if you're going to go and do that, like, no one can sleep with anyone on the ship. Which is not the worst idea. 
Yeah. Like, they covered this on TNG at one point about how Picard was... Oh, yeah. ...briefly screwing around with the... No, that was a beautiful relationship they had, but uh, the context of their... But then he, but then he realized that uh, because he could no longer... He like, could, yeah, he objectively sent her into harm's way. They could yep. not continue the relationship. Yep. But well, this this predates that. This is before that lesson was learned. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No one had ever thought of this before. Nope. Back <laughs> in, in the twenty second century. Back, yeah, back in the twenty one fifties, they mm-hmm. they had no idea how these things worked. And speaking of both Amanda Cole and the twenty one fifties, so on the one hand, I'm pleased to learn that movie theaters still exist in the twenty one fifties. On the other hand, did I hear her say correctly that she and Tucker grew up? less than 50 kilometers from each other and went to the same movie theaters? <laughs> I guess there weren't that many movie theaters. Apparently, North Florida is just a wasteland of entertainment. I I think that might be accurate. Also, I refuse to believe that <laughs> Sorry, we Sorry, have... North Florida listeners, if you exist. Also, I refuse to believe that we have succumbed to the tyranny of day-to-day metric units even in the 2150s. Oh, give it a break. No. I hope we succumb to metric units by then. We will not. But that would be the equivalent of like us going to Pompano Beach to see movies. Yeah, I I don't know. Like even even really crappy towns have movie theaters, but but, whatever. but they they don't have to take 95. They don't. That's they can true. They just they can just fly. <laughs> they have to take I4. No, I they, assume they fly. I guess. That I assume, makes it easier. I assume I-4 is like an air highway now. I have... <laughs> of course, now Florida's just gone, so we don't even have to worry about any of this. Oh. We had that nice little reminder that Florida's mostly just gone. Mostly the Everglades that are gone, though. True, mostly the Everglades are gone. But also... Anyways. <laughs> but also Tucker's hometown is gone. Yeah. Anyway. Whose turn is it? Yours, I think. All right. There's a... Kind of a trope. I didn't bother to look up if TV Troops has a name for it. This idea that people uh, don't get along, but they will bond by beating the crap out of each other. I hate this trope. Ah. Like, life is not... I'm not surprised you hate this trope. Life is not Fight Club. (laughs) Can I get that on a shirt? If you would like to, (laughs) you may. I, I, I hereby release that... That that uh, statement to the public domain. Life is not Fight Club. There was there's been a long period, and there was especially a period in the late '90s and the early 2000s, though, where a lot of filmmakers really wanted life to be Fight Club. Yeah, but it's not. Gar- like people. I mean, maybe it happens. I don't know. I generally don't get into big fights. Um, they were just punching each other and after because it's going to make them feel better or something i guess i i don't buy it i think they're just being toddlers yes very misbehaving toddlers yes but maybe they'll be friends now i don't know anyway writers don't do that i don't like it um i've only got one left really um Mm -hmm. we've already kind of talked about the pacing um it was bad there wasn't mm-hmm. even enough material to fill the entire episode, and it was still really sluggish at times. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And actually, thinking about this, there was another one in there. I didn't like the music this episode. Huh. There were, like, and it was by, it was by Velton Ray Bunch, who's done a couple of the best scores for Enterprise, so that surprises me. But I thought the music actually got in the way of the atmosphere sometimes. Huh. I didn't even notice. And, and slowed scenes down that shouldn't have been slowed down. Um, the last one is the title. Stop doing these crappy generic titles, you guys. You sound like my students when they call their papers essay number one. <laughs> oh no, they do that. If any of my students are listening, stop doing that. Okay. I That's wonder, all. I wonder if any of this, your students are listening. God, I hope not. Yeah, you don't get extra credit for listening to the podcast. They don't need to think I'm any bigger of a nerd than they already do. <laughs> um, yeah, so you mentioned before that Paul is a jerk. The biggest jerk, okay, the, the whole trip and to Paul, there was some good stuff prior to this episode. Like, mm-hmm. I was almost ready to believe that maybe there could be something there. But then this episode happened. There could definitely have been something between to Paul and Sim. Yes. And you know why there can't be one between to Paul and Chip? Because to Paul brought up the thing between to Paul and Sim. Awkward. What are you doing? awkward no like have some respect for sim no to be fair i could believe and it's actually sort of a relief to say this i could believe that a vulcan would be that awkward in a romantic situation it's one of the very few vulcan-like traits that t'pol got to have this episode oh that was just painful like no don't bring that up and also, we haven't even talked about how they just made her disrobe in front of the camera. Also, apparently, um, what the Vulcans wear is designed for maximum... Real quick disrobing. Yeah. It's like... Draw me like one of your French girls. It's it's like designed for if, if ever a Vulcan needs to take off their clothes and be naked in three seconds or less, they can do it. Vulcans would be really great at being those uh, quick change... Uh, magician yeah. artists um but i don't see it as being a very logical outfit also i mean it did sound like she underwear approached... not logical i mean it did sound like she approached that conversation figuring that they were gonna have sexy times at the end of it but i blah, who knows blah. especially since the whole thing was an experiment according to her which i'm not sure i believe no obviously not but she's lying about that because she has to maintain her logical dignity or something. And because the writers are determined for her not to actually be a Vulcan. Yeah, that was bad. It really was. Like, I, I felt so bad for Jolene Blaylock watching this episode because I know she had conflicts with the producers because... She, she was a Star Trek nerd and wanted a, to She was a Star like Trek a nerd and wanted to play a real Vulcan. And mm-hmm. she kept telling them, like, no, a Vulcan wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. My character wouldn't do that. And people kept not listening to her. Mm-hmm. There, there so, was, sorry, Jolene, you deserve better. When, when she was talking to, um, to Trip about uh, how she saw that Trip had, been, had uh, touched uh, Cole's behind. Or no, no Cole, Cole, touched Cole touched his behind. behind. Yeah, she touched your behind. Um, yeah. I, I was just immediately like, no, it's not a behind, it's a bum. It's been real... We, we've gone over this. We have. <sighs> Let's just leave the bums out of it. It never goes anywhere good. Yeah, the... The, the bums are not good harbingers. Oh, wow, you brought it all back to the beginning. 
show right. myself out. Is this a good wrap-up yeah, point? That's oh, great... we, we have awards to do. Yeah, we do. So, the Mayweather report. Yeah, Hoshi was the Mayweather was of this Hoshi. episode. Did she even have a line? Or was she just there to do WWE moves with everybody else? I'm not sure if she had not? a line. If she had a line, it didn't stand out. Yeah. And Travis, I forgot about it Travis was out. not the Mayweather of this Travis episode. Travis had some biceps. He even had a few lines. He even had some lines. He was not a jerk. Yeah. He was cool. the best character. Yep. <sighs> and then we have a Kirk Award to give mm-hmm. out. Every show we bestow the James Tiberius Kirk Award on the character who spends the episode keeping the Star Trek legacy alive by doing the best William Shatner impersonation. There are a couple of possibilities for this one. Yeah. So there's Reed, but screw you, Reed. <laughs> Um, there's Archer purely for that talking to that he gives Reed. Oh yeah, no, that that was very trouble with dribbles. Um, then there's Tucker for just making out with girls the whole episode. And then I think I would also put in a vote for, uh, Major Hayes for some real good punching. Okay. I don't know who to give it to. Um, editor's note, we spent a long time discussing this. Here you go. Skip to the end. Tucker. Tucker. Yeah, Archer loses. Yeah, he he gets gets points for that yelling too, but loses a lot more points for torture. One more quick thing that I totally forgot about until right now. Why is Phlox discussing Amanda Cole's doctor's appointments with T'Pol? <laughs> Patient confidentiality, not that a thing is, on not, the NX-01. It's not a part of Denobulan medical ethics. Nope. That's all. Um, I will point out one last thing, which is completely pointless. Well, actually, no, it has three points. The fork <laughs> that they were using. <laughs> that was a weird fork. That was a weird <laughs> fork in the their mess hall. For some reason, they have really weird forks. Where did they get those forks? I don't know. You, you can you can buy big fo- big boxes <clears throat> of normal forks. They're they're not expensive. Yeah, it's like it's a fork, but it wants to be the same width. From handle to end. Except for the end where it's pointy. Yeah, I don't know. And thus you have our digression on forks at the end of the episode. (laughs) Shall we end for real now? Yeah. Okay. As always, thank you for listening. If you're enjoying this, please tell all your friends and family to join the crew. If you're really enjoying this, please consider leaving us a rating, review, or signing up for a subscription on the podcast platform of your choice. If you would like to tell us how we have brightened your day or send us some some ideas for the show, shoot us an email at at least there's a dog at gmail.com. And if you are watching along with us, uh, maybe don't because you're only going to be watching like one episode a month. But <laughs> if you are watching along with us, your next viewing assignment is the episode Doctor's Orders. Take care of yourselves. And until next time, remember to go wherever your heart will take you. Bye. Bye. Then there's Tucker for just making out with girls the whole episode. And then I think I would also put in a vote for uh, Major Hayes for some real good punching. Okay. I don't know who to give it to. Um, 
Yeah, and the funny thing is, of those, I think that uh, Reed was the only one to actually do a double-fisted overhead Kirk punch. Did he do one? But, um, yeah, I don't want to give it to him anyway. Yeah, screw you, Reed. You don't deserve it this episode. I don't know. You see, we don't actually decide these things before we start no, recording. No, so now we have to very awkwardly decide on air. Archer or Tucker, one of those or two. Or I could edit it out. You could. Um, In any mm, oh, hello, dog. Archer or Tucker? Mm, Archer. I was going to say Tucker. Kirk never tortured anybody, at least. Oh, you're right. Tucker. Tucker. Yeah, Archer loses. Yeah, he, he gets, gets points for that yelling, too, but loses a lot more points for torture. 